Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin.Review podcast. This is an ad-free pod. Thank you so much for streaming those ads. Hello, we're back with a roundtable missing one. Marshall, as usual, have problems with his calendar and is now sending me pictures of his alternative location where he got the dates wrong. But I have my two favorite mining guys, not my third one. So hi, Steve. Hello. Rodolfo, how are you, man? Good to see you again. Good, man. You looked like you, you looked like you just rolled out of bed. Yeah, well, I mean, this is my standard look. This is this is the look that gets me the, the wife going. Yeah. Steve, do you wanna do you wanna just sort of like intro yourself just a little bit? Uh sure. Uh, I design portable Bitcoin mines mostly for oil fields um, with upstream data. Is that ESG? It's very ESG. Yeah, okay. it is. It is actually quite. It very much is. Uh, we just don't lean into that very hard. Yeah, so we natural gas engines, we build those. Um, I'm starting an engine machine shop right now, actually, so that I should get those machines nice. in January. So we'll be machining engines. So it's all uh, mostly Bitcoin focused, but we also do oil and gas uh, services. So cool. All right, uh, Harry, do you wanna do you wanna intro yourself? Yeah, forgive my my background. New York City hellscape from time to time. We're just going to pretend that's pre-recorded. <laughs> I'm Harry. I work at Grid. Uh, we mine Bitcoin. We're you know reasonably vertically integrated across kind of the the mining stack. We're focused on self-mining rather than hosting. We've been around since I don't know mid mid 2018. So this is what kind of hash rate? I can't share. Right. No, but like just just like just like a sense of scale. Yeah, I think, you know, I think like more than 50 megawatts and less than 100. Okay, very cool. Steve, you mostly on the side of like making the stuff for miners, right? I mean, I know you mine, but that's more like a sort of smaller scale yourself as upstream. Yeah, our self-mining is pitiful. Like, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, so I won't. Um, but that's not really our business. Our business is... Uh, yeah. Uh, building and selling and servicing. And we might, I might get into rentals uh, for the oil field specifically, because it seems like that could be a better fit for in this market for uh, some of the clients. So, so I, yeah, I just wanted to place, you know, like, so, so people understand like where are you guys coming from with, uh, with all the, the things you, you have to talk about. I don't mind. I always found mining to be a margin business that I'm not interested in for a decade plus. <laughs> I did actually, no, to be fair, I have mine. I've mined a tiny little bit on a computer way back then. Those BTCs do not exist. They probably got <laughs> crashed with that computer. I did mine a beer worth on a block eruptor on USB, uh. which I bought a beer with. That is the extent of my participation in mining, except for helping miners protect their Bitcoins with cold card and all that stuff. But you guys do provide a, a service that's kind of important to Bitcoin, uh, even though uh, me as an economic node would like to remember that you guys are irrelevant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. It's just a, the Mexican standoff kind of dynamic yeah, here. Yeah, I agree. We're just, we're just plugging in computers to keep you guys in sync, that's all. It, that, thank you. I, I, you know, you're, I'd say like you guys are professional type stampers. 
Yeah, we just don't want you guys to trust anyone, so we're just plugging in computers, so you can just chill. I'm making a motion for miners to change their nomenclature to to Bitcoin Scriveners. Okay. <laughs> if you've ever read if you ever read the short story Bartleby the Scrivener, it's a strong recommend. But it's essentially there were, before lawyers were like a mature profession with computers. There were people called scriveners who would just copy one legal document to another legal document. Yep. You know, in uh, in Brazil, we have this. Um, you can't really do anything there without having documents. Uh, how do you call that? It's like a recertification or like a you have like a notary. Yeah, like kind of like a notary, which is an absolute nightmare and useless because it's all fakeable anyways. <laughs> in Bitcoin, it isn't. And uh, without having a decent size of hash rate, we can't really build on top of the next block and be certain of what's happening here. I do think, though, that we are, say, a good 20, 30 percent over what's needed in hash rate. But that is a, a function of the profitability of mining. For what? Over... <laughs> A lot of people think that uh, that chart of uh, mining profitability is what miners see in terms of profitability if they're doing it right. Uh, so everybody thinks miners are underwater right now. What, uh, what exactly? I just see shaking heads. So, Harry, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, like mining profitability when the Bitcoin price is down, like in this cycle? Yeah, I think. Short answer is yes, um, but let's but let's rewind like eighteen months for a moment and talk about like what's happened, um, and and really there's sort of four. We're we're pretty much back eighteen months in time. We've we reversed <laughs> we reversed time. If you look at if you look at all this all the valuations, we are not back enough because Steve still has a mustache. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't have a mustache two years ago, so in the last bear market, you, so. you've taken you've taken hair from the top of your head and just migrated it. <laughs> it south. has been it's disappointing, yeah. but it's okay. We're still friends. It's okay. You need to eat, eat more red meat, and and you'll be able to keep more of that hair. All I do is eat red meat, and that's uh, I'm trying to keep my hair, and it's uh, I don't know what's going on. Red meat. The, the Bitcoin Maxi said that red meat would cure all problems, and it's not cured my baldness. Stop frying in canola oil, my friend. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but let but let's re, let's rewind and and let's assume that we woke up like fall of 2020 when we were coming sort of out of that out of that COVID dip in you know you know March April May. Bitcoin's crossing back above 10,000. We're seeing the release of the S19 start to come to market, and so there's there's sort of two two interesting trends. One is that Bitcoin price is moving higher. The second is that the efficiency of each unit of tera, you know, like each terahash that gets generated, gets generated for like about half as much electricity um, as the previous generation of machines. So, you know, if you generate $1 in Bitcoin and it used to cost you 50 cents in electricity, now it might cost you 25 cents. You know, the other components of this is that network difficulty is still relatively low, sub 100 exahash at that point. And energy prices remain sort of bottom of the barrel. We'd seen oil go negative. We'd seen natural gas at less than a dollar in MCF. There was a really interesting point where Bitcoin up, machine efficiency up, hash rate flat, energy price down. That's where miners make a absolute metric ton of money because the cost of generating their hash rate is low. The amount of Bitcoin per hash is relatively high. And, and they have a really great opportunity to raise capital and grow their businesses into that environment. So you're saying you're building a, a war chest at that moment, right? If you're smart, you're not blowing through 
overgrowing or pre-ordering too much gear because gear takes about a year to come right exactly and during covid supply chain shit like you couldn't get a, a, a you, you couldn't triple quadruple pay for a transformer if you wanted to right yep. you either had the orders in from you know 12 18 months ago or it's not coming and it's not like the asics is the easiest part nowadays of getting mm-hmm. like it's everything else copper is the problem and we'll continue to be you know we're we're not expecting we're not expecting those supply chain markets to kind of clear efficiently you know you know probably for some time the biggest issue I had was network switches. <laughs> like, honestly. Yeah, no, I believe it. Building these uh, little units and, I, you know, you're trying to standardize on, on certain network switches. And you also don't want to go, like, spend 500 bucks a network switch for, like, super high-end, like, managed switches. And, uh, man, they were they were literally impossible. In fact, they're still really, really hard to find. What, uh, what, what uh, I don't know if you if you want to share, but uh, what are you guys using Netgear's Pro kind of thing? So it's like mid-grade? We use, like, the bottom of the barrel. Uh, so, like, TP-Link, 48 Oof. ports, Netgear. <laughs> and they just replace when they die? Yeah, yeah, Netgear, uh, D-Link, but like all unmanaged. Man, that gear is not too bad, but TP-Link, man, Jesus Christ. You open that box, you'll close it right away. Dude, we're in the mining industry. We have <laughs> know, to, you have to stay it. super, super cheap, super low cost. Right. Yeah. But no, you're right. And, uh, and then they dried up and then like, you're looking for the next, you know, the next thing. And uh, man, I lost a lot of sleep just over network switches. Cause back <laughs> at the start of this, you know, the time Harry's talking about, I was still doing a lot of procurement. Uh, so I was like hunting for uh, better, better deals and stuff. And I, it was miserable. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we overpaid for chips quite a bit too. Like we were like, cause the, the thing that people don't get is like, you know, if you don't have a healthy margin on hardware, you're fucked, <laughs> you yeah. know, because like that margin is to cover what we call hidden costs <laughs> in <laughs> hardware. And like, there is no person on earth, doesn't matter how good you are at accounting, that can figure out where the hidden cost is. <laughs> it just, it just poof, it just happens. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you have a, you have to have room, right? For a chip that used to cost say 25 cents to be $4 on a specific batch only, and then back to say 30 cents the next batch. And, and these things are in flux, but your, your, your final cost of a product remains the same, if not cheaper, every time you make a new one, right? So uh, yeah, when supply chains break, uh, it's, it's absolutely brutal. Well, and, and you, you don't realize, to, just to double click on the hidden cost piece, like, you know, things you don't think about as the end consumer of this stuff, but things as a producer you have to constantly think about is like the difference between air freight and sea freight is like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, no, it's uh, so sea freight, say things like over 30 kilos, right? Mm-hmm. So anything below, it's kind of like wishy-washy complicated, but say over 30, 50 kilos, you know, sending on an airplane, is it's like 10 to 20x more expensive than, than by ship, but ship normal times, it already takes like, say three months, mm-hmm. right? On a good day, you know, plus port bullshit, plus everything else, right? Customs, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, now during COVID, we're talking about like, <laughs> you know, 18 months ship time, right? Because they can't get the fucking content and, and they lose the shipments. So like you can't, cause you know, normally when you have a problem with a container, 
You know, you find a fucking container, you get the shit out of the container, you know, you put it in an airplane, boom, gone, right? Yep. Uh, during during those times, it's like, I don't know where your container is, maybe it's in the ship, maybe it isn't. <laughs> and the, the way they handled all that overflow is that the ships would just sit yeah. like six miles offshore and just sit there and yep. wait for the port to clear. And so like the, the infrastructure kind of, uh, you know, there, there's like these... There's these like two ideas, right, in business of, of you can die from starvation or you can die from indigestion. And so what we saw during COVID is that there was just this massive rise in, in indigestion problems rather than starvation problems. The demand was there and the supply was there. It yeah. was just how do you digest the glut of processing? And, you know, fascinating. I could tell that customs became more efficient because more packages were stopping for custom fees than before. <laughs> so they really like sort of probably did a revamp in how customs like read packages coming in uh, because a lot more packages are getting actually read by customs and getting dinged on taxes. Not a nice side effect, but hey, uh, <laughs> it is more efficient, I guess now. Yeah. So just to circle back to the original question, we go through this period of time where sort of, you know, all of these variables are, are moving in that direction. And let's just let's just play hopscotch where we go from there till right now. Bitcoin price is significantly lower relative to, to, the, to the peak, but it's slightly higher than that period of time, you know, 18 months later. Hash rate has tripled, if not more. Energy has tripled, if not more. And so the, the, the quadrant that miners are operating in are, you know, 50% better prices, 200% worse difficulty, 300% worse power costs if you were to sign a net new, you know, PPA in an open market. And, you know, the chip efficiencies haven't improved. So you can't leapfrog from, you know, an S9 to something better than an S19. The S19 generation is still the leading edge um, on the ASIC side. So, you know, the ability to fight through the adverse, you know, macro environment of energy and hash rate is hamstrung. So, much worse time to capitalize the business, you know, now from from sort of the investor seat. But for the capital allocator, great time to to think about sort of the the price of hardware relative to the return profile today versus, you know, the, the peak of the market, because. Um, the, yeah, yeah so I, I see I see a lot of uh, that's why I wish Marshall was here. I see a lot of guys gobbling up a lot of the small mines and like I've always sort of thought that the future of mining is going to be this massive institutions or tiny hobbyists. And I think Steve's proposition sort of like disrupted a little bit of the, he gave more room for the small mid-sized mining operations to breathe because, you know, you guys are not going to put like a bunch of stuff in oil fields, right? Like that's going to be, you know, mid-sized guys specializing that. It's going to be the oil guys. It's not going to be the massive mines institutionalized. So like, it's kind of fascinating that like Steve's business did open up this this middle a little bit more because I thought that was going to end if it wasn't for the oil fields. So you guys are probably gobbling up a lot of like, you know, facilities, I imagine, that are like were poorly managed or didn't do their their Forex, right, including the Bitcoin Forex. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how much you can talk about it. So I can't talk about what we've done, but I think what we, what I can definitely talk about is how do you lose in the mining business, right? What, what makes a loser? And so there's a couple of ways to lose. The first is how do you capitalize the business, right? If you go and raise a bunch of debt, 
to go buy $100 per terahash S19s and then have to service that debt with 25% of the revenues, you're upside down, it's over. You go and you buy a ton of machines. You don't you don't do the debt thing wrong, but you do, you know, but you sign a power contract that's, you know, variable or you don't hedge or whatever, you know, and all of a sudden the power cost at your at your node of of whatever power market goes from two or three or four dollars to like eight dollars, you're upside down. It's really bad. And then the third way, you know, is really around this kind of cost basis of machines. So if you buy a hundred dollar per terahash S19, it's very hard to dig out from that purchase price. You know, it's it's like buying Bitcoin at sixty nine thousand and saying I need to be above sixty nine thousand in two years. Right. You might not be. In four, you likely will, but not in two. And so this gets back to the theme, you know, that I, th- I think we're going to see is like the indigestion is the problem in a market yep. like this, not the starvation. Yeah. And then there was this new thing, right? Like this was the first market that there was cash available to people with Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So you could finally collateralize a loan with decent interest rate. Some of that was pretty toxic money though. No yeah, back. no, like, like a hundred percent. String, lots of strings attached to some of that yeah. money. Anabolic steroids get sold anyway. Exactly. But this was yeah. the first time that this happened in a way that's like you send BTC, USD comes to the bank account. No questions asked. Fair terms, right? Like stupid move, but fair terms, right? Like all sort of quality people behind most of these. And then they go the, the next step up and like Nindig did, you know, and offer like ASIC collateralized loans. So now you have half of the fucking industry on a directional trade, essentially, right? So your R is inverse. It's correlated to the Bitcoin price, right? So like it becomes a huge problem. Didn't... Uh Harry, you probably know better. You definitely know better than me. But like you know, those NIDIG deals, were they pure ASIC collateralized? Were there any other? No, I think it's mixed. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I had heard some of the guys that had those deals, like they just said, yeah, just take your ASICs back, right? Like they bought them at a huge value. The value drops like, yeah, just take them back. Like done. Like they're out of the contract. Yeah, so that that's public. So so the two deal and and I know people at both these firms, they're good firms and Nidig's a good firm, but this yep. is, you know, the market the market ends up, you know, telling the truth. So at Stronghold and at Iris, those are sort of two of the of the deals that were that were talked about very publicly. They're both public companies, they got to file this kind of stuff. At Stronghold, the way that the deals worked was basically the ASIC was the only collateral. There was no covenant structure outside of that. And so I think they got into those machines at like 60 bucks a terahash. The value dropped down below, I think below 40 at the time when these decisions were getting made. They basically said servicing the debt on these is less valuable than just giving them back. And so they just gave them back. And I think it was 20 something thousand of them. Yep, I can see that. I was uh, I was just, just picturing my mind, right? The guy... That say a manager inside the mine picking which miners they're gonna like put in the bin to send to the to the creditor. Like, you know, like, it's like uh that one, oh that one is a little black, that one, oh, that uh, one too. Rusty, rusty fan. <laughs> well, they got wrecked then, I guess. I mean, uh like playing with that kind of loose. I don't know why anyone because that's the, that was the one I read about that stronghold one. And I don't know how, what kind of mindset you'd have lending 
that kind of capital with ASICs as collateral when you know that they're a hyper depreciating asset. You know, it's it's like it's mind boggling. I'll tell you why, because I think it was I think it was reasonably rational. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy. I think it's like I think these you know, number one is that these are guys sitting on a balance sheet and they have a mandate to do something with it. Fiat problems. No, I mean, stronghold it was rational, but like, the no, no, I think for both of them it was rational. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, like, it went the wrong without, way. Without having some other means of collateral, why not Bitcoin collateral or, or, or collateral in the equity of your business or something? But like, like hindsight 2020, but there's competition for those loans. No, but no, 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 no. It's, yeah, but I mean, if you're like, those ASICs, we all see the historical value just plummet, like rapid depreciation. No, so no, no I, t- I totally disagree. If you look at the at the S nine value over time, you know I was seeing S nines priced sub thirty dollars in summer twenty twenty. They traded back over four hundred again. After. No, I know, but that's you're talking like bull market. Uh, the bull market doesn't last forever. That's when all this money got raised. Yeah, but if that's even worse. Like if you're lending hardware in the bull market when you know it's a temporary spike and you're going to say that's the only collateral I get in a, in a bad situation, the, the bear market comes, you lose all the value of your collateral. Like it's it, to me, it's crazy. I think what happened was it was uh, it was drunk, smart people. Yeah, drunk on uh, euphoria and hopium. Yeah, so... I think everybody, and to be fair, I mean, like if you do a regression analysis on Bitcoin price, you would expect Bitcoin to have gotten to around 100K, right? And I think everybody did their math conservatively, right? Like yes. I would say below nine, below 100K. And, you know, if, if you actually go back and look, if it wasn't for FTX inflating the supply by 25% on that epoch, that essentially is where we would have gotten, right? So Yeah, but a lender, I mean, you're, it's all about risk management. I, yeah, I, yeah. To me, it's like, why, it's I, it's not about not lending the ASICs, but having some other collateral. Steve, let me paint you a story as to why these deals got done. No bank, just one, one more point. No bank will give my company or me a loan or credit union without me signing a personal guarantee. Okay, I have to put up other collateral to get anything. And that's in traditional finance. See, that's that's a small business problem. I have this problem too. Yeah, I know, I don't know. I know it changes as your scale goes up, but I'm just saying that no like the collateral requirements are never this loose in any market ever as far as I'm concerned. So like I just think it's like crazy. As soon as I heard that they were only using ASICs as collateral, I just felt like well, I, I fucked up for not going out and getting some of those uh, deals because I think it was highly predictable. So that- what I think happened is they have, you know, say some Bitcoin collateral, right? Bitcoin is incredibly liquid. It's very easy to liquidate. You don't need to have questions about it, right? As long as you believe that it's going to be enough time for you to liquidate so you're not liquidated into vapor. And, you know, if Bitcoin, that was true. But even the Bitcoin collateral companies would merge and like they would make you top up the collateral if the collateral value yeah. changed. So, so, but hang on with ASICs, that's a physical thing. People who build the contracts and recoverability of collateral contracts, right? They understand physical things. They don't understand Bitcoin markets and directional trades, <laughs> clearly. They do now. But they do understand physical things and they go like, okay, what is the price of that thing? that's on the rack. What is the, the lowest cost of that thing if the market tanks? They don't quite understand. 
So they go like, okay, fine. Let's calculate that as say one third to be con conservative, right? Uh, recoverability. And then they went and they just built out, you know, a traditional, very way more traditional than Bitcoin is like, here's the gears collateral. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that what you said, they were drunk. They were drunk and euphoric and thinking uh, number only go up. They believed in the stock to flow fucking model. And now it's the stock to flow. Oh, no model. Like it's they just totally wrecked. <laughs> All models will be destroyed. <laughs> you, you zoom out on the Bitcoin history since like 2015 when it was industrialized. ASIC value is perpetually exponentially dropping on a per kilowatt and a per terahash basis. So like it's not unpredictable to, to say that, OK, this market could just fall out anytime. It's a fucking crazy market. What happens to us when that happens? Well, I don't know. I, I would have been at least thinking, well, we need some other collateral or some way to margin this up if the value drops of these of these ASICs so that we're not absolutely holding the bag. Um, but it sounds to me, Harry, that, that a lot of the deals weren't that way, right? Like pure, but unsecured. No, just hold on. Your premise is wrong. OK, go ahead. Like, your premise is fundamentally wrong here, which is which is like these deals didn't get done because everyone's an idiot and crazy. Right. Like or drunk or smart and drunk like that. That's not why these deals got done. These deals got done because these are rational capital allocators who built a risk model that didn't work out. Yeah. You know, I, I'm I didn't I'm not saying they're idiots. I'm saying the risk models are pretty dumb. No, but I but I just I, I, I still agree. disagree with that. I think this was the first time that we had. And and this was the the funny thing about this, this whole crash thing. Bitcoin never had a double peak, by the way. We have essentially FTX doing the inflation, which was significant. We had an insane amount of leverage. That was the first market that, that existed. So people did not know how to compensate for that. And you had the macro shit going on at the same time, too. Yes. And I think everybody got caught without pants. This happens. China just banned mining, like at the time. So like you can't tell me that there's there's no major uncertainty in the mining market. There is, but not in the whole market. But China banning Bitcoin is bullish for ASIC prices. No, I know, but I'm I, that I don't mean like specifically on ASIC prices. Just like what can happen to the market on a flip, uh, like on a dime, is very unpredictable. Uh, Bitcoin's what just happened to Bitcoin, them fractioning the reserve, that wasn't even that unpredictable. But it, but yeah, even if you you weren't thinking that could happen, Bitcoin is crazy, man. Like it goes up and down. Like the anything can happen. A new generation of hardware could come out like randomly because someone invented something that's more efficient. I mean, that's not likely. I disagree. It's, it's surprisingly predictable. But I mean, I just don't buy that the risk allocators couldn't predict that it's not a good idea to collateralize only in your hardware. But let's step through their thinking, right? Like, yeah, let's, let's, do let's that. step through what, what they probably saw. Their one thinking bottle, was like, number go up, with, number go up, yeah. number go up, number go up, number go up. Plan B. So we so we get to we get to you know peak peak revenue per terahash at like forty cents, right? They're looking at over this past cycle. Um, and for for listeners who don't who aren't used to this metric, like a good a good metric for for valuing ASICs is like revenue per terahash per day, and that's also kind of how the machines get priced by the manufacturers is in the in the kind of the heady times that number starts to step out to like four hundred days of revenue. 
and in the shittier times, it gets down to like 200. That's kind of the band that we've seen from the manufacturers. Right now, I think I think we're probably much closer to 200, obviously. You know, but these guys are looking at in, and so that, that's one piece to, to think about how these things were getting priced. The second is, you know, there's they're not operating in a vacuum of my choices are hold cash or lend to Bitcoin miners or buy Bitcoin or lend to Bitcoin miners. They're looking at other deals that finance hard assets. And they're saying, oh, if I finance real estate, I'm looking at, you know, a 10 year payback at a 6% return. They look at Bitcoin miners and they're like, I'm going to look at a 17% return and a one and a half year payback. And they're saying like, this is even, even if it, even if everything is 75% worse, it's still better than my relative, the relative deal. It was actually uh, less than 6% at the time. Well, exactly. And the cost of capital at yes. that time is still zero. So they're yes. able to borrow the dollars for zero. They're able to lend it at 15 to 20%. If you look at the ASIC financing deals and their amortization schedule is super, super short. During early COVID bullshit, you actually had an incredible ramp up of markets because demand, everybody was bored at home shopping on Amazon, like crazy, right? So it, it, the demand uh, for the free money that went extra free, remember, we almost went to negative interest in America. Like they were talking about that. So like, it, it was just like the conversions of all this shit I think caused this like bad risk models. No doubt. Uh, that's, that's true. I mean, obviously these, uh, the guys lending the ASICs, you know, they put in, they basically had like close to credit card rates, didn't they? On interest rates. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. So Less. that, that was what offset the risk. And that's truly, I think like, I'm, I'm not suggesting they're brain dead, but like, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I don't, the deals they did where it was just pure ASIC collateral in my head, I'm like, well, these guys probably still would have done deals with you if you had some other, uh, means to, you know, scrap back some value if shit hit the fan like it did. And I don't think all the deals were that way anyway. So there's only so many deals where they did that, you know, that it was that loose, like, you know, uh, guns yeah. blazing. So, I mean, for the most part, like, cause I think galaxy our, our good friend, Amanda over there, they didn't do a lot of deals like that. According to her, I think she said like they had much more strict collateralized terms and clawback terms. And then, and which makes sense to me, but yeah, I, I mean, listen, I think like it's, it's very hard to advocate for the decision-making today when we're sitting on the other side of like, cascading blowups for nine months. <laughs> well, I, I, I was making fun of the finance people, uh, long, long before you, you, well, as it was on the way up, cause I am that asshole that does that. But <laughs> Normie finance people come to Bitcoin to get completely, completely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, seriously, yeah. like if people are just not not next cycle. They'll learn their lessons. Don't they, worry. They yeah, just, that's right. <laughs> they just don't understand 24 hours liquidity. Like this is this is the, the biggest change. You know, you go look at Forex. Those guys are doing like 1,000x leverage because like the change is like a basis point, right? Yeah. You know, in Bitcoin, people are doing 100x, 10x leverage with like a 50% change in price. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, like it's like, uh, you know, max leverage, max beating, right? Like it totally is a whole other different ball game. Listen, we're, we are an industry of degenerates. All right. Like, let's just, let's just face the facts. We're, uh, we're loose. <laughs> 
so yeah, like thanks for uh, for uh, this some of this clarity on on the on the pricing there, survivability of the miners. You know, in simple terms, it really is. You know, everybody got caught with their pants down. The people who had stronger war chests from the last high profitability epoch, you know, survived, not unscathed, but survived, right? And you know, like we've all been running Bitcoin businesses for quite a few. Uh, bear markets now, both of you have. So we all know that having Bitcoin treasuries and, and being essentially in a directional trade as a business, because what you sell is sells to the people who are based on the Bitcoin price too. It's a cockroach game, right? <laughs> like, you know, can you survive it? And whoever survives the next, like when they open the floodgates of price coming up, you know what I mean? It's just like, holy shit. Yes, I'll take your money. Yes, I'll take your money. And That's then you true. make a new few bad moves again. And, yeah. you know, this is truly the fucking wild west of finance. And, and I mean, not high finance bullshit perps and all that crap. I'm talking about like, just like, basic understandings of finance for business operation microeconomics just basic treasuries like how much fiat do i have a back in a bank account versus how much bitcoin do i keep like we're totally charting new, like new territories right like it's like whoa bitcoin price might get to 100k maybe we should like buy a little bit more of our usd at like 60 <laughs> right like <laughs> you know um but i think the lesson that everybody learns is that like leverage will fuck you it will end you in this market i do believe there's people out there who are good at this but they're very few you can be too conservative too uh, uh i i generally ran our business pretty conservative and i missed out on for sure like leveraging up and uh, maybe doing a bit more scale a bit more manufacturing for customers uh and the like because i'm scared of uh the fiat maxis uh, i'm scared of the games they play oh they, they are playing at a different level too they invented perps. It's called futures. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm on the conspiracy that, you know, they like part of this whole uh, Ponzi games, like they, they were, they were pumping up, like they wanted, wanted this to happen, but uh, we don't have to go there. Oh no, we have to. <laughs> FTX is there, America. <laughs> it's a total fucking op to suppress price of Bitcoin. I, they, I think so. Dude, it's perfect, right? <laughs> you you start a Ponzi, the laundry's for the fucking government, right? Yeah. And then like you sell all the BTC and you inflate the supply by 25% for that period. Yeah, fraction, just classic fractioning. And yeah. wait, it gets better. Because you're all in the same sort of like chat room, right? You go and you block the ETFs. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah. but you open all the CME futures for anyone that wants to short Bitcoin like you can't yeah. make the shit up. Yeah. And and we're still at 17K. Oh, I know. Right. Like they, they must be <laughs> fucking fuming. The reason I didn't do uh, any because when those hype uh, when those Bitcoin collateralized loans were getting really popular and everyone was talking about them. Uh, I looked at some of the firms like Galaxy and others, and the reason I didn't want to do any of them is because I was scared about the rehypothecation. Because I asked, like, do you rehypothecate the coins? Yes, we do. Well, that then no, like, because it just scared the hell out of me. Because that's the history of this industry is fractioning custodians, fractioning their reserves. And of course, as we're seeing, it doesn't mean that my first party is going to fraction my reserve, but they're 
party uh, that they're already rehypothecating to might and it cascades back to me right so i didn't do the collateralized stuff for that reason specifically because uh, it, it was terrifying um to, to do that unless it's like a firm like unchained capital or someone who's actually uh, building a, a model that you know they're not rehypothecating at which point you know it makes sense but maybe their terms aren't as sexy uh, in the markets at the time, cause they don't, you know, they're not having the, the yield, um, they're not offering as good terms cause they're not yield farming, uh, all the crypto people. You know, I am not a subscriber to the, the usury being halal or sorry to being haram. I don't have a problem with interest. Uh, I don't have a problem with rehypothecation. I have a problem on how it's done 99% of the time. You know, again, this is a fiat problem. Right. So if you have a hard asset that's being rehypothecated and you have a better means, say a spot ETF, to call out the people running at zero Bitcoin reserves like FTX, right? These things don't happen, right? Maybe I'm just naive and it's impossible, right? Because there'll always be, until hyper-Bitcoinization, there will always be a way for the fiat maxes to, to destroy it. You know, I've been saying this for a I while. I think fractional reserve will never end. Like, no, right? no, you won't. But, but you know, like you can keep the players honest enough, right? You, you have stumbled into a, an area of my wheelhouse that you don't know that I know an enormous amount about. Uh oh. <laughs> Is there any wheelhouse you don't know an uh -oh. enormous about, Harry? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like you don't ask me to, to do anything where I have to write a line of text that makes a computer do something. Me too. Don't, don't do that. Um, but, but my, my previous, um, my previous company was basically back in middle office data management for hedge funds and banks that helped hedge funds keep their banking partners honest about rehypothecation and margin. And so, how do you do that, right? Like in the US, there's a regulatory requirement that you cannot lend out more than 140% of stocks that are on deposit with a prime broker. So I'm a hedge fund, I've got 100 shares of Apple, the bank can only lend out up to 140 shares of Apple based on my position. So there's a cap on the fractionalization of how that works. But the way that's enforced- This is all based on regulation, right? Regulation yes. is out the window with what we're building. Exactly. So this is so but but let's get to the end of how it currently works and then we'll and then Bitcoin will destroy all of our models. <laughs> <laughs> so so the way that that gets enforced is that there's a community of approved custodians and clearinghouses. So I'm a hedge fund, I bank with Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs has a custodial relationship with Bank of New York. So I own one share with my broker. They have to deposit that share at Bank of New York. And all the clearing houses are in one walled garden of reporting. So if I request a report to know where all my shares are, they're able to tell me with certainty that there's only 140% of my long that's been lent. Yeah, but the way they get around that is by using Credit Suisse, right? <laughs> no, the, the well, yes, the way they get around that is with swaps, and swaps are a whole. That's what other I'm saying. Thing. And and Credit Suisse is the like, you know, it's essentially the clearinghouse of the Ponzi's, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. But but it does it does somewhat works because we do have a very fluffy monetary system, and you know they manage to keep the game going. And you can roll all the fuck ups back. Exactly. Right. The system is sufficiently controlled that, you know, when you happen to 
have to do a rollback on perhaps a smart contract that's designed to be a VC that generates a contract that locks a bunch of tokens, you can always just go back and nobody has to tell anybody anything. Yeah, exactly. They In fiat, they, they roll back and then they just ask for more taxes. It's called trade breaks. Or inflation to to roll back. So there's, so there's a report that gets generated at the banks, which is called the trade break report, which means the buyers and the sellers didn't match. Now what happens? And sometimes that takes one day to catch, and sometimes that takes months to catch. And if you're short, you're accruing interest that you owe on the short position until it resolves. <laughs> and so there's all of these like, disgusting under the hood like little things that end up happening um that are really that are really um really truly terrifying um but they only work in fiat fiat games so exactly right but what's really interesting is that now with the let's call it the the dark side of bitcoin which is crypto and not cryptography for my smart <laughs> listeners who are very confused about the term crypto. It's essentially Ponzi scam tokens that try to imitate Bitcoin. I, I know you haven't heard about it, but it's a thing. And it's a very big market. They essentially just play this sort of like leverage shell games, right, between each other. And what was new for the cycle is that they use Bitcoin as the the, the initial hard collateral, right? I mean, like Dukuan had was one of the biggest holders of, of Bitcoin outside of major institutions that were known. And the Bitcoin was there, kind of fascinating enough. And funny enough, FTX actually went after those positions to destroy them <laughs> because, you know, it was real Bitcoin. Anyways, I, I, don't, I don't want to turn this into the, into the Bitcoin price show, but uh, what is just fascinating about this is that like we are recreating, like Bitcoin wants to recreate the gold standard 2.0. Let's being very simplifying everything. But uh, the crypto guys want to essentially create Wall Street number two, uh, where they are now in control, right? Because everybody's in, everybody has admin keys to those coins. And funny enough, we did see Wall Street come in. This is Wall Street, man. These guys know how to take advantage of a market and you know you are the they're, sucker they're just they're just toll booth builders right yeah. if, you, if you think think of think of wall street as as you know their objective there's two objectives right there's sort of like a bunch of really useful products that make sense and you can explain it to a 10 year old um like a mortgage mortgage just makes sense the interest rate on the mortgage might not but like the concept of <laughs> different problem. i want to buy a house it's a physical asset I'm going to pay it off over 30 years. Someone is willing to finance it to me, or I want to buy a semi truck. I'm going to finance it over 10 years. These are financeable assets. Credit markets make sense. By what you're describing is Lombard Street. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. See, what people don't understand, and this is normally what pisses me off about Bitcoiners, is that like you need banking, you yeah. need credit, right? Because, see, before credit, the only people who had access to capital were like two, three people who had access to daddy's purse, right? Who can go and do and build something, right? It was serfs and lords. Exactly. I mean, what credit did, and, and we're talking about like decent sort of like more kosher style credit, you know, essentially like allowed people who have a great business idea to go build it, right? Without having to go, you know, suck on it, right? That's Lombard Street. The problem is, <laughs> you know, let's go full retard kind of thing, right? Like, 
it, I mean, if, if you if you're if you're in for some masochism, you can go read Liar's Poker and it talks all about the you know the mortgage back, you know, the the, the origin of credit of credit default swaps and mortgage backed securities and like the, the culture of selling those in the eighties at some of these banks. And you know, the, there's a difference between like financing a business or financing a home versus synthetic products that are just designed to either they either are supposed to look like Vegas or they're supposed to look like a road with a hundred tolls. But you know, this is all based, like in my opinion, you know, it, it really is. It's like it's a fiat problem and an overregulation problem, right? Because people that want to gamble are going to gamble. Yes. Right. Period. They're going to go to a poker house that's not situation in, situated in their country, right? Or they're going to buy lottery tickets or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Right. So so let them gamble. You know, yeah. but when you overregulate, you're essentially telling people, oh, no, no, this must be safe. Well, and you're and you're forcing and you're the, the problem is that the real value, you know, you know, let's say that I'm I have a I have a reasonable savings rate and, you know, and I'm able to, you know, I'm able to keep whatever 20 percent of of what I make at the end of the year. I can never retire on that money because of institutionalized debasement. I have to gamble. Well, you're skewing the market, right? Like once you regulate, you're immediately adding artificial barriers, artificial, uh, you're starting to pick winners and losers. You're starting to to introduce, like you skew everything. You skew interest rate, you skew supply, you skew everything. So you don't have a true market. You don't have a means to properly price something, right? What we see in crypto land is a lot more honest, <laughs> funny enough. Uh, I mean, the actual tokens themselves are all Ponzi's, but like the market dynamics are a lot more honest, right? You essentially get liquidated. You get you get wiped, right? There is no backstopping uh, anything. And that makes sure that we see honest price, right? The token goes to the top, the guy sells it, right? And then he destroys the market. Mm-hmm. And he dumped on retail, whatever. But like, but the point is, it did happen, and it is cleared in a way, right? Yeah, it's fully cleared. Things get flushed. The turds get flushed. So that's why we have this thing that's, uh, you know, the 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 actual Darwinian evolution of this stuff is incredible. I mean, like you look at like the original scams and what they are now. I mean, like these guys are like scam pros now. <laughs> the, the 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 rapid ascent of sophistication in you know Cryptopia. It's really impressive, <laughs> frankly. I mean, you talk to like a, a 16 year old writing some of these contracts, you go like, holy crap, man. Like this is like rocket science level, like arbitrage here. But anyways, the scam price tangent, it's always uh, should be short lived. So guys, let's let's talk about technology and, and sort of maybe like, you know, the, the, the actual cool stuff, the, the building and the, the, the things that are actually generating value and adding to society here. So what's uh, what, what are some of the, the technologies or processes or things that are happening in, in, in the space, in the mining space that maybe people are missing or, or like are just too boring and, and like nobody understands that there's been like incredible efficiencies happening and and in how you do anything. Like, I'm super curious about that. I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on. New tech, like the first thing that came to mind is the water cooling stuff. So uh, I'd like to hear what uh, Harry thinks about it, but we're building our first uh, water cooled skid, hoping to like formally reveal it, I guess. Like, uh, actually I've been teasing it online. I've been showing how we're pumping Mountain Dew uh, through the cooling system. Uh, it's actually not Mountain Dew, of course. It's a coolant with glycol, and it's got a 
vibrant green color. But wasn't that thing like thirty dollars a gallon or something, or three hundred dollars a gallon? No, you're talking about immersion. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. This is just the water circulation stuff. Well, glycol. Yeah. Now, so but. I'm excited about this water stuff. In fact, like, I mean, it, the topic is, is interesting because one thing, uh, like the market I've seen in the market since say 2020, like when, when Harry was talking about like before the bull run and what, all these things that happened to make this big bull run and the recent crash. One thing I seen was like in that time frame, the immersion tech and the immersion interest in immersion tech has gone, went through the roof and a lot of companies that went big in it, like Riot went big. They built a lot of immersion. There's a bunch of other companies that have done a lot of immersion. I think Queen Sparks doing a lot of immersion and others. And the tech has come out a ton, like it's way better than it was even, you know, uh, two or three years ago. And uh, the competition in the tech is really interesting too. Like the amount of different people building, you know, the next mousetrap and immersion is, is sweet. I, I personally avoided immersion because uh, I, I wanted to see where water was going and why so water cooling just to explain the difference immersion is literally dumping dunking your entire computer and your hashboards immersed into a coolant uh so like bit cool or or these other what would they be called harry like are they like dielectric fluids like uh yeah, yeah it's so, a, a dielectric fluid it's, ba it's basically a mineral oil that mineral oils um, and yeah, that's it. That's able to move the heat non-conductive basically off of the chips. Exactly. Yeah. Move the move the heat off the chips. It's low viscosity and dielectric. That's yeah, that's correct. essentially the two main properties you're looking for. So that's the fluid that's quite expensive. Uh, I think the and, and the interesting thing is you've seen now even big companies who have started mining Bitcoin or at least contracted with miners like Exxon Mobil, uh, they sell. Well, they've always sold this fluid because, you know, they're an oil company, a petrochemicals company. They sell petrochemical der derivative products. This coolant is does come off, I think, uh, at least at least some of the ingredients in their coolant comes off refineries and stuff. And so they sell them to the transformer industry industry and other industries like that, they saw this huge market like blow up uh, with Bitcoin miners, especially in like Texas and hot weather climates. And now they're marketing like literally ExxonMobil is going to Bitcoin mining conferences, like trying nice. to market their fluid. So it's pretty cool. Shell's a huge producer. And Shell as well. So, I mean, that's been a really cool thing to watch and just to see these big guys, like big, real, like call it, you know, uh, infrastructure companies join the Bitcoin industry as they see it get, you know, blow up. Uh, but I find the cooling side of mining is really fascinating generally and seeing how, whether it's air cooled miners, how they are evolving. Uh, how the immersion thing caught fire and now how water cooling is like, t is, uh, showing a lot of promise. It seems like Bitmain and, uh, micro BT are the two main, uh, players in that water cool game. But I, I, I've been fascinated by water cooling for a few years cause, uh, I was actually, there's a few companies now doing like retrofits where you can do put water cooling plates on your hashboards. And I was trying to do that back in like 2018 with S9s. You know, Steve, you need a t-shirt that says, I love thermic coupling. <laughs> Thermal coupling. You know, and air is a shit coin. No, air is not a shit coin. Everything is cooled by air, Novak. Even immersion in water. No, I know. But the problem is thermic coupling between a small area thing like a chip. You know, and air. I think air is still the future, but we can, <laughs> we can go there. We can go there if you want. But, you know, I like when you, I like, I didn't invest in immersion. I like water. Like I look at my computer here. I have a water cooled CPU. I love seeing 
and, and we're early days in the water cooling. Nerd. Yeah, <laughs> we were early <laughs> days in the water cooling. So I got this, uh, I bought the, it's by heat core. So you guys can look that up. It, they, they build a really slick water cooled rack. Like it's, it's beautiful. You just like it because you can pump green liquid and feel like a superhero. And say it's Mountain Dew. Yeah. And make some memes. Well, a funny, like Marshall was here. I'm sure he remembers that, uh, there was that, you know, we were talking scams and crypto scams. There was that. Oh, this is a good one. By the way, uh, Marshall's new, not new here minor. because he's having tummy problems he's stuck in the washroom okay <laughs> that's too much information but Marshall's stuck in the washroom again don't fry your steaks in canola oil <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Bitcoin mining is probably the most scammy of all, of all parts of this industry, I would say, historically. And uh, we've seen like, you know, zombie corporations like Kodak come out of the fucking woodworks and market their, their ASIC machine at the top and uh, scam a bunch of people. Pre-order delivery in 2035. Yeah. Didn't they add blockchain to their name or something? They were going to do something like that? Yeah, they did. Kodak blockchain. Yeah, the the classic just you know they did that at the the height of the blockchain era. We call that affinity scamming. Affinity scamming, absolutely. And and you had this company about a year ago at the top, New Miner, uh, was the name of their machine. It was a complete just joke. Everyone knew it was a scam right off the bat. But they basically took this cool picture, cool render of some, of some other products that had nothing to do with mining, and like doctored it up and showed some like. Uh, uh, Mountain Dew uh, colored, he, he call it cooling pipes through it, and it became the Mountain Dew miner. So uh, that that's the reference of that Mountain Dew joke. But the water cooling stuff is actually pretty cool. Uh, this skid uh, that we're building has an engine. So basically, just think of a it's about twenty foot skid. It's got an engine on one side. It's got a water cooling rack in the middle, and then the radiator, the dry cooler on the end, and it's all in one skid. So it's like a hyper. You know, like it's it's like water cooling a PC just on steroids with a generator. This is the part that I don't get. Well, I mean, I get and don't get about this industries. I thought that by now, the big boys who make proper chips uh, would have come in. Like Intel just like announced, what was it, like a year or two ago, like an actual announcement, not just sort of like, you know, fluffing. Because, you, you know, traditionally in industries that have heat problems, right, you don't make... PCBs out of FR4 and chips out of uh, epoxy, right? You make the chips out of like ceramic and you make the PCB out of aluminum or aluminum core uh, so that it can dissipate the heat. Like, But they are doing that now, aren't they? I, I haven't seen any, like all I see is the toasters from China still. Well, I know this is a, this is really your buddy, Mike Carey would be a hell of a guy because he's, <laughs> he's a, uh, uh, Mike Hamilton, right? Uh, he's got a ton of experience, doesn't he, on like this hardware side? Yeah, he's our he's our material expert. Yeah, I've talked to him a fair bit. I think like because I, I break apart the micro BT boards now, and I mean they have an they have an aluminum backside. Uh, I'm assuming a ceramic chip. But that's an improvement. Yeah, I mean they're all built. Anyone building ASICs now has to be building it for thermal management. I think uh, that's the number one consideration at this point. I think there's been two. There's two competing pieces here. The first is that essentially the big the big innovation from the S17 till now is. No more chip-specific heat sinks, only plate heat sinks. Yeah. You know, that, that's that been a, a, a huge, huge improvement to failure rates. Gets it down below. Yeah. You know, failure rates are below 5%. Except the S19 did it on one half of the board for some reason. Yeah. 
you, you lose if you lose a chip in the mix there you're not going to open up that plate to no to no 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 no. it's more serviceable no, it's much more serviceable oh it is more serviceable much okay. more serviceable yeah because the board is the board on at least like the micro bt and bit main boards they're they're screwed on with compression screws you just pull it off okay access it's actually way more serviceable nice it's, yeah because you get you get full access with one piece okay that's a huge change in the air called the air cooled industry how, how many chips do you let die per board before you get in there you can't let any because they're daisied. Okay, so the whole board dies. Board one chip dies. Board dies. Okay, that's not a great design, but so. But this is this is the thing. So the innovation of the of the ASIC manufacturer is price per terahash yeah. is the is the governing concept, followed by watts per terahash or joules per terahash, the efficiency, followed by serviceability and useful life. Yep, that's the hierarchy of needs. In, in sort of the mining hardware space. What's really interesting, be, and so in service of, of pillar number one, which is dollars per terahash mm-hmm. um, or fiat per terahash, the, the, the PSU, and I learned this from Mike Hamilton, he's going to get many shout outs in this aspect of the conversation. He taught me that one of the key innovations in Bitcoin mining that has broad implications is the cost of PSUs have come down like 75% because of all of the the Bitmain and MicroBT innovation around how to manage power. High amps PSUs are expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, high voltage is kind of easy to a certain extent. When you're talking about actual power draw amps, like boards and things, everything like you you actually yep. need material. Right. So you need more copper. Those traces need to be fat for that amperage. So mm-hmm. you have impedance matching and all that stuff. Like it becomes a whole different game. Totally. So right now, a I think a 4,400 or 4,000 watt PSU off the shelf from Bitmain is like 134 bucks right now. If you were to like go to the airport, that's and that's amazing per per watt. That's incredible. Four K, four K for one hundred and thirty dollars. Yes. Holy crap! So this is a huge innovation. Like I, I mean, I, I'm seriously blown away now. Like I don't think people understand how much like that is. <laughs> What's a fridge nowadays? Like eight hundred watts. So that that yeah, five hundred watts for a fridge. Fifteen fifteen hundred. 1500 is that what a fridge is now i don't know uh, a tri- uh, no a fridge is not close to 1500 watts no it's probably a 500 watts no, you're, an average home draws on average about like 1.1 kilowatt that's the whole home 300 <laughs> to 800 watts for a fridge okay yeah. they're not as good as i thought the trend in dollars per kilowatt getting cheaper over time in mining is huge it's crazy it's a really big deal because uh that's what that's what energy systems need. You like the oil field, for example, one of the things, reasons why I like it's hard to sell to oil companies is they don't want to spend the capital on this risky asset. But if the capital is less as it's trending, uh, they're more and more inclined to do it. So power supply is getting better for cost per watt. Uh, the, the hash board's getting better. The chip's getting better. Like the, the higher, in fact, the higher the temperature the chip can go, then the more power dense it is and the and the lower the cost of watt goes, it's a huge deal. That was, I think was Google who had the, the biggest sort of breakthrough in data centers. They realized that the computers don't care if you are at like, you know, 60 Celsius inside the facility, 
or if you are at say what they were trying to do back in the day which was say 10 15 degrees inside the facility so to push just the air like i'm not talking about the actual machine sort of temperature right just the air around the facility from like 60 degrees celsius all the way down to 15 degrees celsius inside the facility it was a huge electricity cost on acs right so so just being able to accept that you can run machines a little bit hotter uh, and they don't break just that was just natural off-the-shelf gear uh yep. wasn't even optimized for this uh, it was a huge cost saving so i can't even imagine like you know, in, a, in essentially the, the toaster business, which is Bitcoin mining, <laughs> um, you know, like just just being able to 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 do that, it's I imagine is a very big deal. It's a huge deal. So like if you were to go like it's a if imagine going to the airport, you know, those like mobile charging stations at the airport, like the biggest ones of those, just the power supply piece is like the same size as a Bitcoin mine uh, PSU. Those are at least six to seven hundred dollars. Just the PSU part for that for that component, because wow. we look we tried to look to quantify how big this innovation is. And it's it really is like a four times cost savings. You know, mining has some weird maybe it's weird to me because I, I don't understand the reasons why they went there, but it has some weird voltage dynamics there. Um, you have chips running at very weird <laughs> voltage uh, uh, requirements, mm -hmm. very low. I'd imagine they would probably like raise some of that voltage a bit and sort of like lower those amperage needs. But like, I'm sure there is reasons. Maybe any of you guys can sort of like clear, give me That'd some. That'd be a mic question. I, I, my dream is to one day get out of the weeds of this company and, and start like working in that industry. Like I think ASIC, uh, I think just the, the mechanical aspect, the heat management aspect of board design is so fascinating to me. Um, hopefully one day. So I'm not the guy to answer that, but I agree though. If like, if you, you know, whether it's increasing voltage, dropping the amp draw so you can, the power density of the, the machine is super important. And if you can get the thermals up so that, so the operating temperature is higher and higher and higher per chip, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important for cost reasons. It's important for, you know, uh, deployment, uh, having yep. a more power in a small packed area. Plus you have more grid matching, right? The higher the yes. voltage the last yeah. down converting you need to do, right? And every little bit counts. Well, one layer of transformation, <laughs> one layer of transformation, being able to being able to strip out one, you know, just one layer of electric transformation between the substation and the miner should, you know, would, would be a, a huge CapEx cost savings should be, you know, operating costs too. Plus, can you just imagine how cool a mine would look like if it was running at 500,000 volts? And you could see the power just sort of like, you know, just, just flying around between all the ASICs, you know, like that is a picture I want to see one day. <laughs> I'm going to give our, our principal electrical engineer a little shout out. His, his dream and he's incepted me is, is to just do track busway out of the transformer straight into it. There you go. Yeah. It'd be so sick. <laughs> and I'm sure like somebody out there has the tech to do that. I'm sure it'll be extremely it, oh, expensive and kind of like, it's cost it's prohibitive. A lot of the stuff, three, but, like, we just need like three generations to drive it down. Yeah. But the main issue that I see is that, you know, before Bitcoin, uh, we were, we never had ASICs done in this scale to just run hot at a hundred percent doing calculations <laughs> like this. This just, just never existed. So, mm -hmm. and we took a weird path too. Normally you have a requirement a Western, very advanced science sort of enterprise will come in, develop the initial super expensive 
solution for it in electronics, right? And then China comes in and sort of cost reduced to the point of break even on sort of, but break even on the value that that thing would produce, right? So you want to be eventually at a point where you can buy a bin C from China and that's already profitable and you just toss it, right? Essentially when it, it's a life, like a, a life end, right? End of life. But this industry happened like completely the opposite way. We had this need and we immediately went to bin D to, to sorry, to, to bin Z from China, right? And then we're just slowly going up the bins in China in terms of quality. And that's true for the dyes they're making, like everything. The dye, the, the dye was already designed for low cost production. It was never sort of designed for, you know, like anything else. Nobody tried a different, a different, uh, uh, what's the word? Like path dependent design tree. No, yeah, like exactly, right? So you nobody know, so tried like you, a, a different. You, you start at the seed exactly. and then you grow the tree. Exactly. There might've been a much better other seed. Oh, I, I, exactly. It, but, we're, but we're already hundreds of millions of dollars of iteration yes. into the first path. And so rolling back and redoing it is just a bad risk adjusted move at this point. No, it, it's amazing to me that this worked. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's, another, fucking magic. it's sort of another, it's sort of another like um, immaculate Bitcoin conception. Yes. It's you don't see this path ever on anything of this scale. And no. that actually is kind of cool because, you know, Western countries never took control of supply chains too through regulation, right? Like they were never able to capture Bitcoin. The nice thing about Bitcoin mining is unlike other markets, like, I don't know, I'm just arbitrarily a chip for a cold card wallet. You need to have customers like, like you yes. need to have a proposition for customers in your head. Whereas Bitcoin mining is that you can just build a chip efficient enough. Your customers are always there. They're the whole market. There's a, you don't, you never have to contract for a customer. They will absorb whatever you make. It's just, it's just drill bits. Yeah. You never have to worry about that side of the, it is drill bits. Of the business relationship. You, you have a supply, if you can get the supplier, well, the customers are always there and you never have to negotiate with them. You just build something decent and it's out the door. I mean, the closest industry mm -hmm. to this is, is essentially natural resource extraction, oil drilling. but, but yep. not like, but more to this sort of like oil, natural gas level than like, you know, the hard stuff, like, you know, it's if, readily if, available. if the drilling economics makes sense like you immediately make money like you just you put the pipe with a counter on it <laughs> like you just it's really a you commodity, get the dollars right? in. it's trending towards a commodity in the chip space yep. like uh whereas you know apple needs their specific design for their specific application it's just it's the same gbt4 yeah <laughs> all those ai chips all the gpu stuff all custom build this is why i'm so interested on intel coming into this because you know the shittiest technology that Intel would never use just because they would be embarrassed. It's like a thousand times more efficient and better than the Chinese stuff. However, the Chinese stuff has 10 years in the market and they know <laughs> all the other problems around it and they can make it in volume. Right. I wonder, and this is, yeah, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I was just going to say like on the topic of Intel, like it's interesting, like how, do you, do you feel like they will be, uh, I mean, you big name like that, you think they'd become a big player uh, but so far, they, you know, they're they're getting their feet wet. But do you think they're going to trend towards being a big player? My what I was told, because again, I'm not on the side that side of the industry, the you know, the procurement, the supply design of the actual hardware. But are they going to? I heard they're really great at assembly, but like actually, the, they have no advantage on the chip itself, like producing 
the chip. Is that true? Like, because they're just contracting SMIC or TSMC. Yeah, no, but that's like not the issue, right? It's not the issue. Think of TSMC as like a, like a company that has a press. Like meat processing. Right? They will yeah. press whatever dye yeah. technology you invent. You invent for them. Exactly, right? And that's where all the IP value is on, is on your design. And like, of course, yeah. the, the technology size matters and stuff, but but that's all to take advantage of the technology. You have to have all the IP anyways. So mm-hmm. what's fascinating to me about Intel, if they actually shit and don't get off the pot, same with uh, AMD or, or you see microchip maybe, or, you, you know, like some of the actual like sort of, super like way more high-end stuff is that like it's it's a weekend project for them to make an ASIC that is efficient that is what you have now right like and and they already own all the patents on the material design on like how the gates are like everything right so they don't have to license any of this shit right but we we have to go back to the hierarchy of needs for a bitcoin miner yes price per terahash Jewels per terahash, useful life. Oh, they're going to lose out. Like they're going to have to lose so much money uh, on the beginning because they're super high R&D input, right? And China is the literal opposite of that. <laughs> In China, there is like, you know, like, oh, my cousin knows how to draw this. And like, that's it. Like, you know, boom, it goes into them. It goes, shows up on Alibaba next day. Yeah. Exactly. So, so they've got to decide how they're willing to sort of stomach satisfying those right. three needs. For the, you, you said the three needs starting with efficiency, right? Jewels per terahash. No, price. Oh, sorry. Price per terahash. Price, price, price. Then you said jewels per watts. Yep. Jewels per T and then useful life. I think price per terahash, like we're seeing, I think those with the new gen, right? And I think this is pretty predictable, but like with everything getting closer and closer together and efficiency and all that, that's going to soon become like, okay, well, they're all around the same price per terahash. Then, you know, and efficiency per terahash. And now it's going to be reliability. Like, So in, here's how you can actual, solve the, your lag in R&D cost to be recouped, right? Intel is a Western company. They have like near access to the money printer, right? So mm-hmm. if interest rates sort of like lower a little bit, right, for everybody, uh, they can subsidize this because they already do this. These guys finance like data centers. They finance stuff that costs way more than miners do. So they could come to big mining operations and say, hey, listen, you know, just finance it. 20% down, baby. Collateralized by only the ASIC. To take us full circle. <laughs> of course. Of course. You know, and then, and then eventually they're going to go Xerox style, right? Where they're essentially just going to take a cut out of every print. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Four cents a page. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a scary reality for Bitcoin, depending on how much, you know, hash percentage they end up taking over and how closed their back end ends up being. One thing that sort of like keeps me optimistic about the Bitcoin thing is that you can have a a sub optimal economical thing in bitcoin because you have different needs right mm-hmm. so for example let's say you know i love the mining fuds are great it's just it's not all time high so we don't have mining fud mining fud only comes during all time high that's when you spend all day at clubhouse with a 51% attack ooh it's a bull market luxury we'll start hearing the death spiral again soon the mining death spiral you have two things going on, right? One is you're going to have transactions 
that are unsavory for some state actor, right? If it's from the Russian side, if it's from the American side, if it's from the Chinese side, whatever it is. And people will pay a premium for that transaction to be mined, right? So it will subsidize those miners that may have a higher cost per uh, terror ash, right? In some other place in the world where they can't be captured. So that does further decentralize mining, you know, in Bitcoin. And the other thing is, you're going to start seeing the state actors themselves get into the business, right? I don't know about that. You absolutely will. It's because it's a no brainer, right? I mean, like. Is it? Why? They think, and this is, and it's going to come for the, the wrong reasons. They think they get control <laughs> over Bitcoin by doing that. Well, you mean, do you mean, just to be clear, you mean like, because this is a common thing you hear is like, yeah, state actors are coming. They're going to be mining. Is that what you mean? Yeah. But why? why? So, no, but, but they're not going to be mining in, in the way that like, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure the, the NSA has a nice little basement uh, room there with the miners on. But the way they do it in scale is by getting A16Z, which is one of their fronts, to go and invest a large chunk into a mine. Right. And then you have investor pressure. Yeah, go buy the shares and yeah. Right. And that's true in every industry. I mean, like this is how it's being done. It's not a secret. And then eventually they do like that Swiss company where they actually own the whole company <laughs> that was doing uh, encryption uh, hardware uh, in Switzerland. Because they can just tax. Right. They can just say yeah. if you're if because a lot of people say, oh, the state's going to attack Bitcoin and mine and all this stuff. It's like, why would they do that? They just tax everybody. That's right. They take Here's your cut. mining tax. Give me your give me the fucking money. This is all a reasonably discreet sandbox relative to what's actually going to happen first, which is countries that want to export energy and can't will do this first. Yep. Right. Iceland's biggest export is energy and they sell it with aluminum. Iran drives buses of gold to Turkey mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and yeah. then he gets back trucks of dollars. <laughs> exactly. Harry, like, this Harry is, is right. Yeah, Harry is right. It's just monetizing commodities first. Yes. And uh, you are right. Uh, like like uh, we've been speculating recently on, you know, Russia's Russia's energy pipelines get blown up. What, what does that mean? Their energy is bottleneck. Therefore, their the value goes down. And wh why not mine Bitcoin with it? And uh, we're seeing I'm seeing more and more news from Russia that they're growing their hash rate significantly. A, a, a rep at MicroBT told me that they were selling a fair bit of hardware over to Russia, uh, for example. That's that's a perfect example. But uh, one one caveat uh, is that it's not exactly the state mining it's just private companies in russia mining uh just like the oil companies I there's were, no difference there's no difference it's the same thing well it's sort of but like i mean at least in the argument that the state is coming to mine bitcoin it's like well it's it's is it like why would it i think the problem is when people say the state they think it's like this beautifully organized thing. <laughs> it's not, right? Like there is yeah. many factions of government. There is like many ways they do it. And then there is, you know, all the puppets and all this stuff. Well, I mean, uh, all the natural gas guys that can't sell the gas. Uh, yep. That's uh, like a micro, it's a micro form of uh, bypass. Because actually in Canada, one of the reasons why it's so... Oh, the opportunity is big in Canada for mining in the oil field is because we can't sell our gas to anyone but the U.S. Only the U.S., like the politicians have blockaded all of our pipelines, so we can't get anything anywhere. Maybe funded right? by U.S. Funded by Maxis. Yeah, yeah, Fiat Maxis, of course, the U.S. Yeah. What, you guys don't have a, you guys don't have an LNG port? 
anywhere? You got to send it all to Boston? Where is it's it's in progress? There is in the East Coast, but well, we can't get our yeah. We won't it, get into it's, it. Dude, it's like it's been fully, fully, fully cut. But it is a example of uh, I actually I I marketed that I was like, well, here we are. This oil company is mining Bitcoin and exporting their gas to the world. And I mean, I think we're going to see uh, that continue. Just generally speaking, wherever they bottleneck our energy across the globe, is of course that'll continue to happen. So here's why I am not as um, a little bit against hearing his argument is because what's going to prevent uh, like Russia, China, these kinds of countries uh, from trying to monetize Bitcoin too much is that they just cannot help themselves but to create their own new modern money printer. Well, that's I agree. They will try everything totally. else that includes printing before they find a way of monetizing Bitcoin. Getting back to Nash equilibrium. Because Bitcoin ends them too. They know they're too smart to not understand. 100%, man. That's what I meant is like the state mining Bitcoin. Why would they give a shit about that when they have a money printer? No, no. And they can just take your Bitcoin all the time. It's worse than that. They understand that Bitcoin will liberate their people, essentially, right? Yes, they do understand that. It will remove their claws. So it's in their interest to try to benefit from Bitcoin as much as they can, if they can. But there is only so far you can go before you start sort of eating your own self. Yeah. So, but this is, to me, this is the argument that I, that I agree with. I, I agree with that pushback. I think that's, I think that's fair. But I think that the, the state is this large blob that doesn't all kind of ooze on the same parts of the economy at the same time. And so I think, you know, they're going to, there's going to be significant pieces of these places that are going to say, Ooh, revenue and Ooh, revenue that I can actually monetize with con via consumption. Right. I can say, you know, we are starving, you know, North Korea is starving. I want to go buy more foie gras. I'm going to go mine Bitcoin and, and buy foie gras with Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Like that's a very reasonable playbook for them because they want to consume and they can't. You know, and at the same time, they're not going to give their citizens hardware wallets and S9s to run. Yeah. In that, in that case, though, you're talking about a country who's being censored uh, by a bigger uh, being basically sanctioned and censored by yep. the global market. And that makes total sense. That's sort of why I like the even I've been critical of like El Salvador's uh, needs, but uh, it makes a bit more sense for El Salvador who doesn't have a press money printing machine to adopt Bitcoin. That was the only reason why they did it. He would have printed money if he could. It's It's a middle finger to the IMF. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, if they, but if if they have a money printing machine, then why the f they wouldn't care about this? In fact, they wouldn't be uh, at least on the surface promoting Bitcoin because why would you do that when you have a golden goose? I gotta get Bukele here. We can sort this out. We, yeah, I'm sure you could. I don't know. We can try. He's pretty chill. Why not? Yeah, I'll, I'll get him. Talk to Max and Stacy. Yeah, I'll talk. I'll talk to to them. See, this is a fun heuristic, right? Every time you try to talk about mining aspects, you end up in geopolitical issues. Because Bitcoin is political. It, it, that is true for anything that is in scale, right? So like mining is, is a commodity business in a way, right? And commodity businesses are based on inputs, <laughs> right? And inputs are geopolitical concerns. They are not- Chips, like, and, en chips and energy. Doesn't get more right. geopolitical than that. Right. Look, at, look at the last two. Look at the last two largest bills that got signed in America. Right, you got the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is just an energy bill, and you've got the Chips Act, which is 
just a semiconductors bill. So the two biggest pieces of legislation coming out of the U.S. also happen to be the two key inputs to the mining business and the two key inputs to the Bitcoin role on the geopolitical stage. And what what is more hairy than Bitcoin if, if from a political standpoint? Like if you compare Bitcoin as a commodity business to any other commodity business, Bitcoin is other than like oil and, and energy itself. Bitcoin's pretty hairy because you it's challenging the money printer. It's consuming energy the more the network grows, and of course the carbon narratives around that. I mean, you're going for the king, right? The king is the central bank. You're going yes, it, very much so. Yeah, very much so. You're literally like a, a one way mission to the king. There is nothing else that you're trying to do in between, right? That's yeah. the shitcoiners do. Wall Street and blah, blah, blah. No, no. Bitcoin is like an arrow to the king. Yes, absolutely, man. And that's why it's such an exciting industry, because like, what the hell is going to happen? Like, what, what does everybody else do with their time? I know, I know, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, your conversations don't have geopolitical concerns in them while talking about technology, while talking about this, and while trying to do your, your company treasuries, while the market is going down 80%, <laughs> and then it's up again, and then it's down again. It, you know, it's like, the way I think, I think about Bitcoiners, that sort of been around, it's, it's like a monk standing on top of a surfboard, right? While the sea is super rough, it, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. But then software, it's the complete opposite of a commodity business, right? And this is the other tug of war in Bitcoin, right? It's the complete, absolute opposite of it. It's, it's, it's a simple business where there is no inputs. Input is just time and skill. So it's just ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And ideas don't have a fixed place. They have a much broader sort of like geopolitical concern, but it's a much different way in which he approaches Software it. Software lives in our minds. Exactly, right? Which is the last free place. And hardware lives in the world. But this is, the, it's the story of the internet. We had to lay a bunch of fiber for 20 years before we could start building useful apps. And then comes our boy Elon there and just like, uh, boom, <laughs> you don't need the fiber anymore. In the sky. I mean, listen, <laughs> it's fully controlled. You know, you can't, imagine that he was not authorized to do what he did, right? I mean, you don't just go and blanket the earth of satellites, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> without, without permission. <laughs> He's a fiat asset. The FAA doesn't give up control. You know, I always like to joke that there is a GPS receiver, right, in every uh, Starlink container. And uh, they added that because when they send the missile, to pick out the people that they don't like, they didn't want to hit the next house, right? <laughs> I think you're right. Absolutely. I, I mean, oh. it, it is quite the, it's quite the, the prop, oh man, like if you ever have a chance, there is a guy who does microwave stuff on YouTube. He breaks apart all the, the Starlink stuff. It is next level shit, man. Th those guys are playing a whole different, it's like, it's like time machine guy came in, you know, like, Let's do stuff differently with the technology you have right now. It's so cool. Except for Tesla, which is shitcoin. But and <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's just fascinating how all these things sort of play together. Don't a lot right? of your, I'm sure a lot of your listeners drive Teslas, you know. Oh, I, I say this all the time on Twitter, too. You, like, can't, say, you can't make fun of your, your listeners, the Tesla bros. There's a lot of people who drive Teslas for the correct reasons. They want... Because it's a better, a better performing vehicle. I, that's the right reason. No, they just want an electric press of a button. Right. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Performance. Yeah. Yeah. The excel the acceleration is yeah, just no, but, the, but the rest yes. of the car is shit performance. Like, I mean, it's awful. Like it, it, it drives it? weird. Everything inside is like <laughs> cheap. 
Um, you know, it Is looks it? weird. It's just, I don't know, man. Like the Tesla ass was like, okay, you know, like, look, you know, we're going to have something cool here. And then it's just the, the original roadster. Right. And mm-hmm. then like just slowly mm-hmm. divulging into this, like sort of like Corolla minus the Toyota QA, you know, <laughs> then you can remote turn off. Like, I mean, I would never buy a device that like someone else can remote turn off. You know, it's just, just no. Very, very fiat. Yeah. I'm a white truck kind of guy. <laughs> I agree. Me too. What other, uh, what other aspects of mining you wish uh, this conversation would, uh, would, would encompass? Uh, we kind of like went in like different tangents here, but like I, it's, it's a fun little group. So I want to explore. <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not sure, but I, I know that like, uh, I think we're seeing very rapidly miners, uh, like I expect to see, maybe we're not seeing it exactly yet, but I know there's a lot to sites we could say, uh, citations we could say of mining moving upstream towards generating facilities. Yeah. And I'm very excited about that. Um, I think that's the way it should be, uh, whether it's like at the solar plant for curtailed solar and curtailed wind or uh, base load for keeping thermal power plants at peak nominal uh, peak heat rates. I think that's like, uh, you know, in the mining space, a lot of your listeners who might not be so interested in pure, you know, mining discussions, maybe they're more on the developer and cryptography side, but the energy system side of what mining is going to is doing already and like is trending towards so sick it's really really cool and i i don't even i always wondered like did did uh did the early developers on bitcoin and guys like satoshi nakamoto did they think about this like like what it was going to do for improving energy systems you, you know if you go back to the early days there's a lot of people who sort of like build up the Satoshi sort of like uh idol kind of thing in a way he's a god he's he's my god it was a lot messier than that. A lot messier than that. Of course, and, yes. And uh, he was kind of pushed out too. But, you know, like people need idols. That's how you build a brand and whatever, right? I, I wasn't trying to, even though he is my idol. Uh, no, I wasn't trying to idolize him. No, no, no. I know, yeah. I know, Steve. I, I know, I totally get it. Like, no, I know where you were going for. But guys like Hal Finney, you know, all the all the early cypherpunks, did they, when they started getting interested in Bitcoin, uh, I, I was just been wondering, like, did they see what potential it had for just as like mining itself? Because at that time, mining was not an energy hog. But as it became an energy hog, like it, it's trended towards becoming an amazing tool for energy systems. And, and yes. that's just what think, I'm wondering. Like, did, So there were gold bugs. There were like people like pre-Bitcoin, right? Pre-Bitcoin history. Like. There was a, there were like cypherpunks, there were, there were gold money people. There yeah. were like a lot of like any aspect of like technology you could imagine sort of like there, but I don't think there were, I don't remember at least of any single like energy person. Like, you know, there were people who, who knew what they were talking about, but they were not like from the energy industry. But it was so nascent early days, but you know how like a lot of them accurately predicted, you know, the trends in Bitcoin as a tool, like a privacy tool as like a technology itself. Obviously, you know, like people getting excited because it challenges central banking, monetary policy and all that stuff, which was, you know, people saw that early on, but uh, were they seeing like the, like where it is now, like where, like the fact that we're putting it on oil wells to, 
deal with waste gas or balance engines to keep them at nominal. And like our, our controller systems are like shutting off the mine in response to that. And, and the guys doing it at wind farms are doing similar things. You know, that, that to me is astonishing what it's doing on the energy system level. And I don't think like I got into it in 2016. I, I was on Bitcoin talk. I'm still on Bitcoin talk, reading all the posts. And I don't, I don't remember seeing people talking about the energy side. I have never seen a post where somebody recognizes that Bitcoin is going to monetize stranded energy. And that's insane. Uh, it's insanely amazing. Like, it's incredibly amazing. It's like one of the biggest markets on Earth, especially because is stranded. So, like, you have problem, and you have solution, and you have, like, fully monetized solution without any specialized uh, extra IP. There, there's nothing like, you know, you just bring this toaster, you plug it in <laughs> well, and, that, and you're making money. I think that's still not uh, widely touted uh, in the Bitcoin community as a whole. In the mining community, like me and Harry, we, you know, our, our little circle within the Bitcoin sphere, we're talking about this all the time. But the, the big narrative, I think is going to get more and more uh, louder around this because, you know, Bitcoin you know, hopefully undermines central banking and destroys uh, a lot of these uh, uh, evil fiat maxis as a, as a privacy tool and as a distributed money and all this stuff. And that's been widely touted. But like this whole energy system optimization thing uh, is only just starting to get legs. And it's super exciting. You know, maybe it wasn't an accident that the fiat ESG attack into Bitcoin was happening exactly when the realization that mining I think so. for monetizing stranded energy started to be talked about. You know, it completely sucked the oxygen and, and it was fully parallel. When you look at when those two things started to happen, yep. bang smack on. But, you know, it's very hard to sustain an attack against an opponent that is just further monetizing itself, right? Revenue revenue is, is going to heal all wounds. Is everything, right? So like you can't fight things that produce money, right? Well, yeah, they, they'll find a way. It's like life. It's just fine. It's a fungus. It just keeps growing. Especially if they're liquid and they're transportable and they can live like, you know, in places where you're not competing for the same resources. Like it's very hard to capture it. Yeah, I, I have... I have a lot of a lot of opinions on this. I think there's I think it's even it's a much bigger story than just stranded energy, um, because what Steve was mentioning that I think is is something I think all the time about is like because of the the subsidizing of unreliables, we basically are shortening the useful life of all of our existing infrastructure. So you shouldn't be spinning up and spinning down and running suboptimally, you know, you know, think of the damage that flipping a breaker does to your panel board, but now do that on an 800 megawatt generation facility, right? It's incredibly taxing. Few people understand that solid state relays have a lifetime. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, and exactly. it's a very expensive device is voltage and amp goes up. So, you know, like just not having to replace that by having constant load is a huge deal. It's a huge relief on the systems, huge relief. And, and when you think about sort of the deflation and the cost, the cost of energy over time, right? If you're able to have the budget to service these plants, 
those values get passed back to customers over time. And so the cost of consumption goes down, quality of life goes up, inflation gets better managed by better money over time. And so the role that Bitcoin mining can have in sort of like household budgets over a 10, 20, 30 year time scale, especially as we look at transmission that needs to get replaced and and generation that needs to get upgraded, like th- there kind of isn't a plan other than d- further massive debasement, massive taxation or massive innovation. And I'm I'm a I'm a group three maximalist on, on this on this topic. But then the other the other thing that I spend, you know, it's my great love other than Bitcoin is um, is nuclear. And, and building just a shitload more nuclear. Oh, yeah. Um, I and, mean, like, you know, especially now you have all this, the the liquid salt stuff, oh, you, you know, like. It's so cool. You know, I, I, I've been saying this for so long. All I want, okay, is like triple or double A replacements that have a small little nuclear reactor in them. <laughs> tiny, tiny little bit of depleted. And it doesn't even have to be the good stuff. You know, it just has to produce 1.5 volts unrefined. each. Unrefined. Give me the isotope, baby. I mean, why aren't we doing this? It's ridiculous. Politics, politics. But well, I mean, because the, the the reality is like nuclear is free energy, right? Especially if we are doing that, it a, takes input costs to zero, a whole different level scale, right? That mm. we're not now. And your listeners who are who are um, uninformed are going to tell me that wind and solar are zero marginal cost. But the useful life on a wind or solar deployment is like 10, 15 years. It's idiotic. A nuclear reactor, a nuclear reactor is 80 years. There is this amazing map, okay, uh, showing, I have it. I have it. showing the heat maps, okay, of where you can economically do solar and do wind. It is like, I don't understand why they have put either of those things in Canada at all. Well, that's true. Uh, and another thing. Uh, I would say a little talked about aspect is, you know, Harry loves nuclear. I love nuclear. Uh, any energy maximalist loves nuclear. All the, all the thermal base loads, nuclear, uh, coal, natural gas, et cetera, have uh, Bitcoin's a great, great thing for them as well. Even though they have marginal costs on fuel or they can't say like coal, right? You, you need more power, you need more fuel. But the problem that we're seeing is that these unreliable sources are putting stre- more stresses on these reliable loads, not just in the transmission infrastructure that's required. But like, for example, just, just to give one example on a coal plant, if you're putting a lot of, if, they, if you're subsidizing all these renewables and through the co- market and contracts, when the renewables are running, they have to s- offset the coal because that's the whole ESG play. Well, when that the heat, when you drop the load on a coal plant, which you can't do instantly, but when, when as it's cycling down, the heat rates go up, meaning the inefficiency goes up. So you're using more coal for the base, the normal base load you're selling to the grid. So, I mean, even like, uh, if even putting a higher base load on a coal plant that might switch to a Bitcoin mine when it's being offset by the unreliable renewable power, it actually drops the the fuel usage per kilowatt hour like that you send to the grid. Same with a nuclear plant. If you if you're cycling nuclear down in response to all this solar that's just the sun shining at that time and it's being contracted to have to displace the the plant, then you have to ramp down the generation at the plant. And it's it's also bad for nuclear because the heat rates get worse if they're not nominal. So I mean this is these are things that are a little talked about, but it's it's just additional benefits of like of uh what mining is and will do 
and hopefully uh, hopefully it'll end the subsidies altogether by defunding uh, the government deficit spending and the grants. Um, so Harry, we're not recording video. Uh, so okay. people won't be able to see that, but uh, we can we can put a, a link to the to the tweet on the yeah. On so the so this this guy who you should follow who is he's going to piss Bitcoiners off on Bitcoin, but he's going to be enlightening <laughs> on nuclear and energy. His, yeah. his, his handle is mining underscore Adams, and basically the the graph that that we'll link to is a demonstration of how baseload functions around the calendar cycle versus how wind functions and and it's basically a, a wind versus nuclear graph and the nuclear looks kind of like a circle and the wind looks kind of like spike you know tiny tiny spikes each day and so you see that you know nobody wants their air conditioning to be part part of the day nobody wants their fridge to be part of the day you you cannot run a high quality of life society with intermittent energy availability that chart or is intermittent energy available price it's energy porn that chart is energy porn you know like, it's <laughs> depressing that like we live in a world where this is being pushed yeah yeah it's like, just it, so it is, dumb it's the fiat maxis and, and listen i duck hunt right mm -hmm. we can see how these windmills are like destroying the path of migratory birds like it is all over nothing. You, you should be shooting the windmills, man. Like when you're when you're walking by. I don't know. Why, I don't know why you wouldn't be doing that. They're they're shooting our substations, so we need to take down their windmills. So follow this guy. He's got a lot more that looks like this. This is on, this is Ontario, so it's for the two of you foreigners to enjoy. But uh, but this chart looks exactly the same. And you know everywhere. what happens here, right? Like you know because you know, essentially like native reserves here have no other source of income because they've been also fully convinced to not be proper corporations and extract their resources. Uh, the government goes <laughs> and say, hey, why don't you guys put windmills? We'll pay 10x the rent that we would otherwise, right? So essentially like all the, the native reserves here become like this sort of like patches of of windmills. It's just, it's just so, so sad. Yeah, no, the the energy aspect of this whole thing, it's uh, I, I don't think anybody had thought through. I'll bring this up. I like bringing this up because I find it fascinating to think about uh, just one last idea on this whole mining and energy systems. And I always get made fun of it, of, of for talking about it. So I'll bring it up <laughs> anyway, because it's not a realistic thing now, but you never know what the future holds. And uh, so stationary mining, like stationary power generation is currently what everyone's doing. Like you're not... Uh, you're not putting Bitcoin mines on trains and other vehicles that waste energy and break energy, right? Because break energy, uh, its value is slowing you down. But hashing can slow you down if you load up the power plant that's running that machine, right? If you load up the... Uh, so I always thought it'd be an incredible. If you see the power density of machines drop like if, if you can imagine a, like a lot of thermal output a lot of heat output on a really small light device like a, a mining a mining machine so the if the cooling is capable of doing that and the chip temps are capable of going super high you could have a tiny little device that pulls like a kilowatt right that weighs almost nothing and if you could you could literally strap that to every every moving 
apparatus on the planet that has brakes. And if in theory, in theory, of course, this is not at all practical today, but if, if this trends towards that and you can have these high heat output devices, hashing devices that are always connected to the internet and you can turn them on in, a, in an instant, you could slow down your skid steer as you're, you know, instead of hitting the brakes, uh, although skid steers use a different, uh, they use hydraulic recuperators and save their energy sort of like electric vehicles do. But you know what I'm getting at? So like any moving power plant, which is like, I don't, I didn't run the numbers, but they're, if not the bulk of the world's energy usage, they're close to it compared to stationary power plants. That's just a fascinating idea to me. No one talks about where that could go, but what about uh, putting a, putting a similar devices on buoys and just let the sea do its thing? Cause now it's remote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I always thought you could make an autonomous sailboat and let the wind blow the sailboat around. No, no, and, no. Like, uh, you know, like, because you have buoys measuring ties, you have buoys, yes. do, you know, and they do have those things to, to try to make Internet. electricity out of waves, yeah. but those are all silly. I'm talking yeah. about just a buoy that produces a, a small enough current that could do the trick, you know, and just, just like, it's free, right? I mean, all you have to do is put a little Starlink there at the top and uh, boom. Well, all this, all of this stuff is many, many challenges, but, uh, I just, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't recognize what Bitcoin's doing for just the energy systems today and who knows what they'll do, you know, in 50 years from now, like where our tech will have brought us. So I'm going to lob a hand grenade into the end that we're not going to address, but we'll address in the future is this is why I'm not remotely worried about Bitcoin's security budget. No, there, I am completely unconcerned about it. Always been completely like completely don't worry guys if if biden attacks bitcoin putin will back us and if putin attacks it biden will back you know the yeah. geopolitical thing hopefully <laughs> hopefully will uh play out in our favor here's as well. uh, another kicker to that is i think the the except for high retail sort of like run-ins kind of thing right at near tops i think we're just constantly have a low fee environment you, you know that's the reality Lightning or, you know, Fetties or whatever is your preferred L2s uh, will resolve the majority of economically uninteresting transactions for Bayes layer. And custodians. Let's get real. Yeah. Like custodians. 80% of the people that. are going to be on custodial yeah. services. Uh, and then 80% of the 20% are going to be on mediocre custodial solutions. Sorry, self-custody solutions. And it's going to be the very few who are fully. The only fear that I have with this 80% being on custodial is that's how you find inflation, right? Because there will be a lot bigger attack vector there for them to, to inflate the supply with uh, fractional. Hoseki is solving that. Yeah, but, you know, if Hoseki is not going to play ball, it's not going to get yeah. hired. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, that's how Enron did it, right? They gave shares to the, to the people who did the audits. Have you, have, there's a great, there's a great podcast I just listened to about Enron, like three and a half hours of the history of Enron. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read to that one, but like, I, I you know, I've, I've done a little bit of my own digging and, and it's, it's, fascinating. I mean, it's the classic, right? It's like, that's why regulation doesn't work is because you can get around every piece of it. Regulation just creates the arbitrage. That's right. It, it literally yeah. creates that, like, yeah. uh, and it creates these monopolies too, because it misprices everything. Nortel was another interesting one in that. It's another fascinating story there. But this is this is the argument is that is that if you and my, my this is what my dad tells me all the time. He said he's a lifelong CFO. He said 
you know, system systems can be introduced to make it hard for one person to steal. Once you have two people colluding, very hard to get systems to solve that. Yeah. And another thing, I think like people want things resolved and things are never resolved, right? Like everything is just in constant flux forever, right? Yeah. Six confirmations isn't certain. Right. We will always have a tug of war on payments versus store of value in Bitcoin, even though I am a proponent of everything serves at the pleasure of store of value. But, you know, I don't control Bitcoin, right? <laughs> so like you're also going to have the tug of war, right, of like capital allocation. And, and that's going to be essentially true for energy, like energy allocation. You know, that doesn't necessarily follow the price, right? Because energy is fixed, so it can always be captured. And, you know, and governments are going to look at their people and say, hey, you know, we want this energy to go to the fridge, not to the miner, right? Even though it doesn't have to be that way and whatever, right? I think the sooner the people realize that there is no resolution and it's always going to be messy and, and we should always just sort of like be on, on like on our toes and, and sort of like, and just keep on pushing eternally, right? Like, uh, I think we're okay. And, and the cool thing about Bitcoin is that the incentives align on, on that, right? Because we are all in a constant competition in a fair rules market. You know, we do get rug pulled by fiat maxes from time to time. And, and the more we prepare and become resilient for that, like, you know, the FTX shit, you know, like we, we have a much sort of like a, a way of surviving. I mean, like we, st we still have a symmetry that works in our favor, right? The, the, yes. the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin worldview um, that we all share versions of, we have asymmetric tools that work currently in our favor. To, to propagate that worldview relative to the tools they have to destroy it. You know, governments can't kill Bitcoin anymore because they are not going to all work together to kill Bitcoin uh, by definition. So the only thing that they can really do, which is they just attempted, is price suppress. I think they're just going to tax it, man. Tax and suppress. Uh, not Suppress, of course, but suppress through funding FUD, suppress it through taxation. But it's a realistic attack vector. Right. I mean, you can you can suppress Bitcoin from gaining new adoption by just not letting it go up in price. Oh, of course. You keep it, keep it uh, gated in terms of what's legal, regulatory moats. That's why I've been so critical of uh, some of the big miners like they, you know, the way they position themselves like they're in big exchanges and stuff they're they're looking to build moats right and it, it just crushes uh competition they're trying to you know whether it's on the mining side like legitimizing carbon accounting and making themselves positioned well and like sort of like making it okay to tax anyone that's you know not not as carbon clean well that's how you you build regulatory moat Right. Well, yeah, that's what the private market's doing. But the government, I mean, I think for sure, like uh, I think when we talked about conspiracies on this whole FTX, you know, crypto garbage, um, I think part of it is like they they need excuse to bring in heavy regulation. Right. And I think that's what's going to clearly come out of this is heavier regulation. And I think uh, next on the list is mining pools. Like, I don't know when that's going to happen, but they're going to come hard after that's that's gonna be a hard one to kill well it's i don't think you can kill it but like you can always mine solo or mine uh in in a very private you know through private servers i'm sure sponsor your local stratum v2 dev yep 
No, and, and it does, and, and you know, and then there's going to be stratum V3, right? Yeah, it'll respond, and it, you know, the hopefully the market responds and to these attacks, like when they're making you uh, license your pool and this kind of thing. Hopefully, people you know, build the, private the best pools. way, Steve, to do that is by you know, what we have, which is the economic incentive, right? Like as soon as the government come for people's bags, they come up with solutions around that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, guys, I, I, I think this was pretty awesome discussion. I mean, we can do another two hours of this. <laughs> Maybe we save some for, for a next episode. Have you done an episode? I, I, I want, I need someone like you to explain this RBF controversy, but not right now. Cause it's, it's at the end of the show. No, we, we can, we can, we can, uh, we can give it a, a 10 minute explanation why not okay i have 10 minutes and then i i do have to leave myself okay. after 10 so give me the breakdown of it as you see because i know uh i've seen you online talk about it i'm sure a lot of your listeners know but so think about it this way non-consensus rules okay are free for anyone to do them without getting kicked out of the network right they, they're not forking off all right mm -hmm. you you, you 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 buy into that yeah right? yeah okay. absolutely like I, I feel like anyone's so, free to do it. so it's gonna yeah. be done right this was already something that existed before it was sort of taken out because it was not fully cooked and it just became it, it got brought back as a feature right mm -hmm. essentially giving users the choice to relay or not relay transactions that are marked as rbf right and it's default. Is it? Is it, am I right? It's like this. This upgrade is default on. So new, default off. It's default off. Yes. So new new software. Like if I download the new, it's not going to uh, be running it. It's not going to. You be have to it. go edit your Bitcoin.config file. Yeah. Right for this, you have to. You just type in there mempool full rbf, and then equals one. Equals on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. so Hang on. And then yeah. you have the other part, which is RBF, right? And RBF is essentially a formalization of something that already exists, right? So mm -hmm. anyone, there is no double spending Bitcoin. I hate that term. Okay. What you have is transaction replacement, a unconfirmed transaction replacement, right? So anyone can already do this, go and make a new transaction with the same inputs, okay? Giving it a bigger fee changing the inputs, doing whatever the heck they want, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and broadcast it again. And reality is, if your fee is bigger, marked as RBF or not, is going to probably get mined. All right? Yeah, so yes. So all this is already possible. All this is already happening, okay? What we want from this camp is just formalize things so that it's more sane for wallet developers to sort of like, you know, like have uh, uh, better standards around on how to do things, right? Because see, one thing we should have in every wallet software right now that we don't, we have in about say a third of them is two buttons that should be added. One is try to cancel my transaction, which essentially creates a new transaction with a bigger fee sending it back to you, okay? And the second one is try to make it go faster. Right? Yes, because see, whenever you have a slightly higher fee environment, you want every single wallet to have RBF on on every transaction because it's just informing the nodes that like it, there is a higher likelihood that this transaction will be replaced. 
for honest actors. Mm -hmm. Right. For dishonest actors, which is the people who do chargebacks anyways in this in all these merchants that want to have zero confirmations, they are at the mercy of them already by simply like having a transaction being rewinded. Mm -hmm. It's just that the problem is we have a nomenclature issue in Bitcoin. All the semantics around this are terrible, right? Yes. We should have been calling them proposed transactions, not zero confirmation transaction. There is no zero confirmation transaction. What was the, can you, what's the position of guys like the, the main guy sounds to be John Carballo, who's, concerned about it what's the position exactly like uh you're saying it's taking away a business case but you're saying it's option only so that's gaslighting okay what he's saying is can you please not go forward with normalizing transaction replacement because we want to use zero confirmation on base layer as the core of our business and that's just a bad design choice it's idiotic well you can still do it. Yeah, you can still do it. And I can still not relate transactions that I don't like on my node. This is not consensus, right? Mm -hmm. Think about it this way. Yeah. When we had transaction malleability, we had an actor, right? Malleating every freaking transaction in the network and causing RAVAC, right? Especially if people trying to do zero confirmations because it was breaking software. That was not prepared to see a transaction with the inverted S. Yeah. So... We should always be building Bitcoin and pushing narratives and standards that essentially meet the strangest and most adversarial environment, because that is what state actors are going to do. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's got to be adversarial minded. And by the way, sorry, just one more thing. And this is this is the key sort of like cherry on top. All it takes is about 10 percent of the nodes in the network and a couple miners to make it look like the whole network is for BF only anyways. It's too easy. This is why, like, this has been discussed to death for the last, like, God knows how long. Seven years. It's old. Yeah, it's really, it's really old. A lot of these conversations are super old. They just had different names. And, you know, like, that's why, like, a lot of, like, people who actually write the software, test the software, and put their life into the software... In, in actual core are so like not engaging with it or so tired of it. And, and like, because it, it's not like, it's like at some point, dude, it's like, I don't, I'm not interested. Just don't run the software. Fork off if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no reasonable, there's no reasonable five year to 10 year perspective on Bitcoin that doesn't do it this way. Yeah. I mean, just because of the high fee environment. Like the reason I was asking, because I'm always the adversarial comment is is key here. Like I'm always wondering, like how would the fiat maxis attack Bitcoin? And like by and, us not doing this. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, but we're, like, we, we, we're saying there's one version of this where we have four by four attack surface area, and there's one version where we have five by five. We're currently five by five. We want to go by four to four by four. And the people living at the edge of the of the one inch here and the one inch here that are going to get squeezed are the people who have made design decisions in their business that accept a different risk model. We're not removing that the availability of that risk model at all. And that's also fiat maximalism. OK, because the majority of the people who do have zero confirmation needs are trying to do that because they want to make sure of spot because they're doing transactions in dollars. Right. We 
for example, we don't sell the BTC that we get when you buy in BTC in our cart. <laughs> and it's a substantial amount of sales. So all we're going to do is once it confirms, we might send you an email asking for more money because it was not enough for us to ship you the product, right? Anybody yeah. that wants to do zero confirmations should be looking at a different set of trade-offs, which is lightning produces, liquid produces, yep. all this stuff. Strike can dollarize it for you. Whatever, right? Like, I mean, go seek other, Bitcoin is not immediate. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest sort of lie and sort of like bad narrative you ever had. Cheap and fast transactions. That was the, the big blocker side that lost so miserably. Well, if you saw the tweets today, you know. <laughs> yeah, he adopted big blocks now, right? You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> and the irony is amazing. Like, and it's a shame, right? Because, see, I was I was having this conversation. I can't remember where uh, of, of who, like, you, you know, there is a lot of businesses who do sort of depend on zero. Com I want them to succeed. Like, this is not us trying to say your businesses don't belong on Bitcoin or whatever, right? Like this is the opposite. Like we want you to succeed. We want all the businesses to happen in Bitcoin, but Bitcoin cannot be what you want it to be, right? That was verse in, cap in capacity of accepting that Bitcoin cannot be what he wanted to be. So he went and he forked off, right? And we're going to lose people along the way, which is kind of sad because they might go shitcoin or whatever, right? Same what happened with Ethereum. It was originally was Namecoin. Bitcoin are not going to change for you. It cannot offer everything to everybody, right? So anyway, so, so that's where, where this whole situation is. It's like you have people who either don't have the technical capacity to understand what we just explained, and they're just sort of like that's pissed mean. because it breaks their business, which is fair. <laughs> uh, and I hope we can educate you. We have people gaslighting it because they well, the, want- the, the, the reason I asked, and I uh, appreciate you explaining it, it's, I learned a little bit there, but I still need to parse uh, it a bit more. The thing that I worry about is like, even when there's one merchant, okay, whether, however they're using their, using Bitcoin, but they're using it. And if they express concern over, uh, yeah, maybe this is not a consensus change, but if it's a market, a change in the market and it affects their business, that is, uh, that is a concern. Like but that's see, always Steve, a concern. How you describe that is essentially call 1-800-GO-F-YOURSELF. Right. Like so Bitcoin doesn't have a support, <laughs> official support. It doesn't have an official CEO. Yeah. It doesn't. Oh, and I know. And you can't you can't control and you we don't want to control what software people run. Uh, exactly. To, right. And, and but this is but the, the, key. the key is like we, we still want to keep the you know, I think I generally speaking, like we don't want division we want no no know, it's the opposite. No, the no, no, no. We want full balkanization. We want factions in Bitcoin, they may oh, even no, hate each other because yes. they keep everybody honest. Yeah, 100% on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and the payments people keep the sovereign, like the, the store of value people honest and the vice versa, right? Yeah. But the key is when it comes to non-consensus rules, everybody can go take a hike because they can do yes. whatever they want already. Steve, you're telling me there's you don't have any customers that you want to fire? <laughs> really uh yeah i could i could say i could think of a few yeah so what you're saying is that the way forward is to let the customers you secretly want to fire run the hiring choices that you now have to make no 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 that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that like <laughs> a, a man a person needs to be you know concerned about merchants are really what this is all about 
like Bitcoin, if it's for merchants, it's for people to use. And when people are concerned about it, it's important, right? No, no. Bitcoin is not for merchants. Bitcoin is for whoever wants to use Bitcoin as is functional, compatible to their needs, right? Correct. So the merchant, the merchant could just have the customer, you know, they could build a little coffee shop in their store and say, you know, I'm going to give you a free call. You know, if you spend over, you know, a hundred thousand sats, I will give you a free coffee to sit here and read your book until I get two confirmations. That's a totally reasonable business choice, or I'm comfortable with the risk of not. I, I, gentlemen, I have to run personally. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that he introduces the range. Get, I knew this was going to end up uh, taking a while. That's why I was like, oh, I shouldn't bring this up because I am curious. I wanted to hear your take, especially Novak, because I've seen you online talk about it. And, uh, you know, you've generally been pretty correct on a lot of your takes. So I appreciate it, though. No, it, yeah, it, this is a very long winded discussion because it, it does go back to, you know, Bitcoin's properties, what people expect out of Bitcoin, consensus versus not. Yeah. It, it gets dicey very fast because it affects everything. Right. Mm -hmm. But this specific one affects nothing. Only the people that don't want it because it's not consensus. And at the end of the day, if it's not consensus. Yeah. OK, folks, Fair I know point. you need to leave, Steve. Thanks so, for having me, man. This was fun. Anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Uh, well, I'll just plug my company, Upstream Data, uh, upstreambeta.com. Uh, we build Bitcoin mining infrastructure. Uh, so if anyone's listening and building mines, you should hit us up because we build for pretty much every application at this point. Whether it's uh, small scale, big scale, it uh, doesn't matter. Oil field, grid, we're everywhere. We are everywhere now. So, yeah, thanks for the awesome. – thanks for hanging out. Harry. Yeah, any any final thoughts and uh, anything to plug where people can find you? You can find me on Twitter at Harry underscore Sudok. Um, I don't sell anything, so I don't have anything really to plug other than if you're not working on Bitcoin, start. If you're already working on Bitcoin, thank you. Wonderful. That was a nice closing there, sir. Uh, listen, guys, I, I truly appreciate it. This was, uh, this was a very fun discussion. I, I have a feeling we're going to end up doing this again. This is the part that I like, I like talking to miners too, is because we always end up talking about uh, bigger concerns uh, outside of just Bitcoin, because you guys are pretty much one of the only parts of the system that physically touches normie world and fiat world and uh, everything else around it. So uh, thank, thank you for coming, guys. Thanks for having Everybody have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow at Bitcoin Review HQ or get in touch on Telegram, Bitcoin Review Pod, or Bitcoin Review at CoinKite.com. We don't have a crystal ball, so let us know about your projects. Leave your boostagram on this episode and we'll try to read it on the next episode. If you don't know much about Value for Value or Bitcoin Podcast 2.0, go to bitcoin.review slash v4v. Mm -hmm.